I release over you. Could you stand up and welcome our associate pastor, Nathan Harris, as he brings the word this morning. Thanks, Phil. I received that. It's good. Well, Father, this morning we ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation again. Uh, we thank you for the word this morning. Thank you for the cleansing of the word this morning over our lives. And, and I ask that um, <clears throat> to this morning, but in this season and in this coming year, that you would rest on your people with a spirit of prayer, a spirit of intercession, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I ask that you would give us greater insights, new perspective, and faith to rise to meet the challenges um, of our day, of this generation. And we do ask and we do call for um, the third great awakening in our nation, that you would pour out your spirit on your sons and your daughters, and that it would pour out of our church houses all over this nation. It would pour out of our homes, out of our businesses. You'd bring revival again in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we're talking about gather the harvest, gathering the harvest this month. And as I was praying about this, um, actually, a good friend of mine recommended I um, pick up uh, Charles Finney's book, his autobiography. And so I, I picked it up a few weeks ago and started reading through that. And so many things I didn't know about Charles Finney. Oh, my gosh. But a humble, simple guy. I want to share a few testimonies. Um, from his life this morning, but I want to back up a little bit into history. Uh, there was a 90-year period from 1790 to 1870, 80-year period, 1790 to 1870, that we call the Second Great Awakening. The 80-year period. So you could have been born and lived your whole life in that awakening. Isn't that cool? Isn't that, some people got to live their whole lives in the awakening that happened in America. Isn't that, just, that excites me. I'm like, okay, God, if you did it then, you can do it again. Amen? Amen. So I want to share a little bit about what was happening then and about what I, I believe that our nation is at a turning point right now. We're at a, we're at a crisis point right now. And there, there's so much, you know, there's so much on the line right now. And we could, we could lean into God or we could fall away as a nation. Amen? And we're just right there on that crux. And it's all, it's all uh, you know, all, all that the enemy would have us believe is that it's just around issues. It's around culture. It's around ideas or ideologies. But it's actually around allegiance, either to Jesus or not to Jesus. That determines this. And uh, Charles Finney, he, he was uh, an evangelist born in the late 1700s. Uh, actually lived his, almost his whole entire life in the Great Awakening. But... He, um, he made this statement, and I don't know if I'll see it in my notes here, but, um, but, but basically he said, he, speaking of New York City, there, there was a revival in New York City during the Second Great Awakening um, in the 18, late 1850s, and right before the Civil War. And uh, Finney had spoken about New York previously to the, to the awakening touching New York, and he said that uh, New York City, uh, New York is so prosperous Basically, I'm paraphrasing, New York City is so prosperous that there cannot be a move of God in New York City because people are just, they have everything they need. And there's just, there's no lack and so there's no hunger, right? And so in 1857, there was a, um, I, and I didn't know this, but there was a depression in 1857. The stock market crashed. Um, the businesses started, started losing everything. All these businesses um, there was uh, the bank, the, the main bank in Philadelphia went down, which was one of the big banks for the whole nation. And so there was this financial crisis that happened. And then there's all these talks of a civil war coming up and the tension between the North and the South. All of that, I'm just thinking about today, right? <laughs> you know, and all of our issues we have going on. All of that, 1857 is going on. And this uh, business guy, this 48-year-old business guy, starts a prayer meeting in New York City. And he starts, Jeremiah, I can't remember his last name, he starts praying, and he just has a weekly prayer meeting. Well, soon it turns into a daily prayer meeting. And over the course of the next several months, 
uh, there, there turns out to be about 10,000 people a day praying in New York City for awakening, for the Spirit of God to move in that city. And it spreads across the nation. The whole nation gets touched again by, by this awakening. And the awakening, you know, it, it had been going pretty steady and it had waned a little bit in the 1840s. But this was just a renewed uh, move of God right into the Civil War. And one of, one of the big, uh, uh, Charles Finney was an, abolition, an abolitionist. So he was actually praying for the ending of slavery in his day. And he, he, got, to, he got to live to see that, which is so cool. But we have this legacy in our nation of what has been. And I believe the Lord's calling us to get back to the roots and the position the church had, which caused that legacy to be. And, that, and the roots of that legacy were established in a spirit of prayer. It was the spirit of prayer. Charles Finney, he found the Lord. He was a lawyer, right? So he was a very analytical person. And, very, uh, and he, would, he would meet with, uh, he, he, went to church. he was the youth leader at the church, right? He was a young adult youth leader, but he wasn't a Christian. <laughs> so he went to this Presbyterian church. He was the youth leader, but he wasn't a Christian. But he was very well versed in theology. And his pastor would meet with him every week and try to talk with him through theology, and, and he couldn't get anywhere with them, and they disagreed, and, and he would ask the pastor questions, and he just didn't have answers for, and he was like, well, this guy, you know, has all these uh, words, but he has no explanations. And so, anyways, he, he goes out into the woods one day, and he's just under conviction for his sin, and so he's out there just trying to you know, find what's true, and he ends up meeting the Holy Spirit out in the woods by himself one day, right? Just out there, meets the Lord, spends the whole day out there in the woods praying. Well, he comes back in. He was one of the guys that everybody knew he was never going to be a Christian because he was such a skeptic, right? So he comes back into town, and within minutes, within minutes, he's talking to people, and they're falling under conviction of sin, they're falling under conviction of sin. And his whole town ends up having a revival because of his conversion. People that were at his town that were like, oh, well, if there, there, was, one, there was one guy, actually. So all, almost everybody in this town gets saved. And there was one guy in the town, and he used to joke and say, well, if Charles Finney gets converted, then I'll get converted. So Charles Finney gets up in the church that next day after he gets converted, and he shares he shares his story, and the guy gets up and runs out of the church. <laughs> I love just takes off hauling out of the church as fast as he can. Crack me up. I don't know if he ever came to the Lord. But uh, everybody, all, all the people, all but one person in his whole uh, youth group that he was leading ends up coming to Christ as well. So it's this really powerful story, but something that, um, something that Charles said about the power of prayer. Let me see if I can find this quote. Oh, yeah. This is great. Mm. Here we go. Okay, so this is the quote by Charles Finney. It's, it's about the power of prayer, okay? And he was a man of prayer. I was powerfully converted on the morning of October the 10th. In the evening of the same day and on the morning of the following day, I received overwhelming baptisms of the Holy Spirit that went through me, and as it seemed to me, body and soul. I immediately found myself endued with such power from on high that a few words dropped here and there to individuals were the means of their immediate conversion. So I'm reading this story, and I'm like, I'm like what's the method here? You know, like, what's the method? He's, he's gets saved, and he immediately, people just start getting saved all around him, all over the place. I'm like, he, like, he's never preached a sermon, you know? And he's over, up there speaking about the Lord, and people are just falling under conviction. Like, whole audiences are falling on the floor while he's preaching, right? And he's sharing these words, and, and he's totally untraditional in his speaking. And people say of his messages, it's like he's just talking to you. Right? And yet they're falling under conviction and getting saved. And this is what he says about it. He says, My words seem to fasten like barbed arrows in the souls of men. They cut like a sword. They broke the heart like a hammer. Multitudes can attest to this. Oftentimes a word dropped without my remembering it would fasten conviction 
and often result in almost immediate conversion. Sometimes I'd find myself in a great measure empty of this power, and I would go out and visit and find that I made no saving impression. I would exhort and pray with the same result. I would then set apart a day for private fasting and prayer, fearing that this power had departed from me. And I would inquire anxiously after the reason of its apparent emptiness. After humbling myself and crying out for help, the power would return to me with all of its freshness. And this has been my experience for all of my life. He would set aside a day to pray and fast, and he would go out and immediately the power of his words would be there again to bring people to salvation. Isn't that amazing? He said, in another quote I read, he said that uh, if, if I, he's like, I just live in the spirit of prayer. And he said, and if I go a day without walking in that spirit of prayer, or even an hour sometimes, my words would lose all their powerful effect. So then I would remember, oh, I need to go back to the spirit of prayer, and then the power would come back upon him again. And we're talking about, you know, Bill Johnson talks about the Holy Spirit like a dove that rests on your shoulder. It's that concept, it's that principle that, that we carry the Holy Spirit with reverence. We humble ourselves and, and we invite him to move and have his way. And we're in tune with what he's doing and saying. The revival that happened in, um, in um, Charles Finney's city waned a few months after he got converted. And I thought this was so interesting um, he received a, um, like the newspaper, there was an article, and, and back, in the, back in this time, um, news agencies, in the 1850s, the news agencies would even have whole columns dedicated to the revival in America, because it was so prominent and everybody wanted to know about it. So it was, it was in the media, I think it's so cool, so Lord let that happen again, amen. So he sees this article, this is, this is back in like the 18... Uh, 1820s, I think. He, he gets an article and it's telling about a revival that had ended in a town, but then got reinvigorated through prayer. And so he was meeting daily, I think it was daily, with a group of young people to pray. And over time, they got tired, and then, you know, a few stopped coming, and a few more, a few more. Well, eventually, it was just him. <laughs> it was just him praying again. And he was he was frustrated about it because he could see that the revival had waned in his city. So he takes this article and he uses it as a weapon, as a testimony to stir up revival again in his town. And he goes around and he says, hey, if you guys will pray with me, God will re, you know, reignite this revival. And so he gets a few people to come and pray with him. And, and he, I think it was actually one other guy. He gets one other guy. And he says, hey, let's pray three times a day in our prayer closets, and then let's meet and pray once a week for this revival to restart. It took seven days. Seven days. And they had revival break out again. All, all this whole community. It was powerful, powerful uh, life. And it's an opportunity for us to walk in this same spirit today. I've just been so challenged um, this last couple of weeks on the spirit of prayer. Christy and I have been talking about it a lot um, recently. Uh, she was reading a book uh, called The Way of Blessing, and it's a, um, a prayer center in Wells where they see miracles, and um, they, they, have, uh, they call it ryth rhythm prayer, and they pray every day four times a day, and they just see all kinds of miracles. People come out to the campus, and they'll get healed and touched by God. Um, some people don't even go and meet with them at the prayer services. They just come on the campus and get touched by God. It's amazing, but I, I've just been so hungry for what he's doing, and and um, Reese Howells has been on my mind a lot lately. And I don't, have you guys ever, anybody read Reese Howells' um, biography? A few of you, I'd recommend. It was, a, it was one of my first um, books on the power of prayer that I ever read. And it really wrecked me. But Reese went from, I think he was a, in, wasn't he a minor maybe? He was a minor, he grew, grew up and he became a minor. Worked in the, in the mines, I think coal mines for several years. Um, got touched by the Lord and went on a journey of learning how to pray and intercede and see breakthrough through his intercessions. And started out with really small things. One, one thing he says is, uh, I have this little quote from him. He says, unless you can prove God to answer in an emergency in a test case, it's nothing but talk in a very big way. The old man can sound very convincing. <laughs> that means like your old nature. The old man, the old nature, can sound very convincing 
but he does not see his folly. You can never exercise real faith for 100 pounds unless you've had 50 pounds, nor for 50 pounds unless you've proved God for 20 pounds, nor for 10 pounds unless you've proved God for 5 pounds. You only give mental assent and you imagine these things unless you've actually experienced with God the impossible. And he says man's extremity is God's opportunity. And so his life was a journey of testing God in really small things and then it growing and it growing and it growing and it growing. And uh, one of, one of the, one of the um, things that people talk about with Reese Howells is that he had one shilling in his pocket whenever he went and he bought a property that I can't remember how much it was worth, but it was this whole campus. It's like the size of, you know, Evangel campus or something. Like this massive campus with several buildings. He bought it and he had one shilling in his pocket. And what his wife says, uh, I, I found this quote from uh, Leonard Ravenhill, which is another awesome man of prayer. And he says, um, let me find it here. I think I passed it. Oh, here we go. <laughs> uh, Leonard um, Ravenhill was talking to Reese Howell's wife after he had gone and spoke at his, um, at his college, this property that he bought. And so he stood on the veranda of their home, and he was overlooking this beautiful Swansea Bay. And uh, Mrs., Mrs., uh, Mrs. Howells holds up her finger, and she says, Many talk of my husband buying this place with a shilling in his pocket. What they forget is that he prayed for 12 hours a day for 11 months to know the mind of God. Wow. Prayed for 12 hours a day. And the Lord released this property to him. And that property still to this day is a college for prayer. Isn't that cool? It's amazing. It's an amazing legacy. But he, he ended up seeing God move in just phenomenal ways. Uh, he lived during the early 1900s into World War II and just saw some crazy things. I would highly recommend his book. Uh, it's called The Intercessor. And there's actually four or five different versions of it. But... Um, pick it up and check it out. Just another hero of the faith. You guys getting a little bit inspired? Man, I tell you what. I want to read one last story of Finney, and then we'll move on to some scripture. Finney um, went to a manufacturing facility where they're they're making uh, cloth, and Finney talks about the power of God on his life just through his look. Like, he didn't even have to, when he was walking in the spirit of prayer, he didn't even have to speak for conviction to fall on people. And so he goes into this manufacturing facility. The owner of the manufacturing facility is not a Christian, right? But the operations manager is, and he invited Finney to come in and have a tour of their manufacturing facility. And it's in New York. Finney, Finney after he traveled, he itinerant traveled and preached for several decades. And then he moved to New York and became a, a professor at um, a university um, teaching Bible courses. And so he's there in New York. And so he visits this factory. So, um, and he went to the weaving department. And they have all these machines, these weaving machines. It's really loud. It's a noisy place. And there's all these women in there. Uh, I, I want to say he said it was hundreds of women in there, a great company of young women. Uh, and they were looking at him when he came in. And I'll quote this. And then they, they looked at me. They looked at each other in a manner that indicated a trifling spirit. He uses that word a lot, trifling spirit, or a convicted spirit. And that they knew me. I, however... Uh, <clears throat> Let's see, I, however, knew none of them. And as I approached nearer to those who had recognized me, they seemed to increase in their manifestation of lightness of mind. Their levity made a peculiar impression on me, and I felt it in my heart. I stopped short, and I looked at them. I know not how, as my whole mind was absorbed with the sense of their guilt and danger. And as I settled my countenance upon them, I observed that one of them began to become very agitated, and a thread broke in her sewing machine. A thread broke. She attempted to mend it, but her hands trembled in such a manner that she couldn't do it. I immediately observed that the sensation was spreading and had become universal among the class of triflers. I looked steadily at them until one after another gave up and paid no more attention to their looms. They fell on their knees and the influence spread throughout the whole room. 
I had not spoken a word, and the noise of the looms would have prevented me from being heard even if I had. And in a few minutes, all work was abandoned. Tears and lamentations filled the room. And at this very moment, the owner of the factory, who was himself an unconverted man, came in and accompanied, I believe, by the superintendent, attendant. When the owner saw the state of the things, he said to the superintendent, stop the mill. What he, what he saw seemed to pierce him to the heart. He said, this is more important. He hurriedly remarked that these souls should be saved and the mill should run. And so he ends up, um, they, they have a meeting, he shares the gospel. And this whole place comes to Christ. Just amazing. Just amazing. He says, this power is a great marvel. I've many times seen people unable to endure the word. The most simple and ordinary statements cut off their seats like a sword. And it takes away their bodily strength and renders them almost helpless as dead men. Whew. He says, this was not because I was preaching terror to the people, but the sweetest sounds of the gospel would overcome them. This power seems sometimes to pervade the atmosphere as if it's highly charged. And many times great numbers of people in a community, this, this is it right here, guys. Many times great numbers of people in the community will be clothed with this power, with this same power. When the very atmosphere of the whole place seems to be charged with the life of God, strangers come into it and pass through the place they're instantly struck with conviction of sin and in many instances converted to Christ. When Christians humble themselves and consecrate their whole being, they're, they're afresh to Christ and they ask for this power, they'll receive such a baptism that they'll be instrumental in converting more souls in a day than in all their lives. While Christians remain humble enough to retain this power, the work of conversion will go on while they're humble enough to retain the power. And in his book, he talks many times about the revival ending in this town and that town because of people's pride. Because people start arguing over doctrine or culture. One town, it was the mode of baptism. The Presbyterians wanted to be sprinkled, and the Baptists wanted to be immersed. And, and the revival ceased. And for six weeks, they couldn't get a single person saved. They're there praying and preaching every day. Couldn't get a single person saved. Charles brings both the churches together, and he spends two days talking about the modes of baptism and and lays it all out and, and honors both sides. And, and so everybody finally gets okay with each other again and immediately salvation starts pouring out again on the community. But it's pride that, that hinders this move, the spirit of prayer. In another town, it was manifestations. There was one, one church was experiencing people falling out in the spirit and another one wasn't. But they were both experiencing revival and, and the church that wasn't was upset with the church that was, and the church that was was, uh, you know, saying that they were missing something, the church that wasn't, and so there was this feud, so Charles Finney, he's, he recognizes this, and, it, and the revival had stopped because of it, and, and he came there, and this was already, the revival had already ceased when he showed up, and so he's preaching one night, several weeks in, and uh, one of the, the top guys in the church that didn't believe in falling out in the spirit, fell out in the spirit in the back of the room, <laughs> And the churches, after that, the churches were like, well, okay. <laughs> and so they, they came back together and experienced revival and, and it, you know, salvation's rained out again. But pride is this, this thing that keeps them from experiencing it. And one of the bold things, Charles Finney, one of the testimonies, that it was just so piercing, was there was a man who had prayed for baptism of the Holy Spirit for years and had never received it. Christian man, went to church faithfully, prayed, didn't receive the baptism of the Spirit. And Charles Finney's definition, I love his, I didn't write it down. He's got a paragraph where he defines baptism of the Spirit, and it is such a powerful paragraph. But he defines it. He says, look, you know, he goes back to Acts 2, and he's like, you know, you, you've got to have the power of the Spirit. He's like, we can't do this. He's like, there is no effective ministry without the power of the Spirit. And he said, we've got to have it. The apostles had it. We've got to have it. 
He said, but it's not just signs. He said, you know, tongues was a sign to validate, right? And miracles are a sign to validate. Those just happen. He's like, but the power of the Spirit is the baptism of the Spirit. It's whenever you receive the power of the Spirit, the faith to walk in it, and, and, it's, and it just envelops you, it takes you over, and then you speak out on people who are falling under conviction. He's like, that's the power of the Spirit. And so he defines it as power, which I love. But he says, this guy's been praying for the power of the Spirit for years. And he, he came up to him. He was at, going to the hotel after a service one night. And, and this guy came up to him and he said, he said, Brother Finney, I've been praying for years for the power of the Spirit. What, what am I missing? Why am I not receiving it? And, and Finney, it's classic Finney. He just says what comes to his mind, you know. He doesn't pull any punches. And he's like, well, because you're praying with false motives. And the guy's like, what do you mean, false motives? He's like, He's like, why are you asking for the baptism of the Spirit? He's like, so I can be happy. And he says, that's why you're not getting it. He's like, you're praying because you want to have it for your gain. He's like, but it's actually for others. And if you'll pray and ask for it for others, you'll get it. And, he, and that guy, he got so angry. And he later said, he told Finney later, he said, I, I went to my hotel room and slammed the door. He said, I never wanted to see you again. I was so upset. How dare you judge my motives? And he said, but as I thought about it and I sat there in my hotel room, I started getting convicted that I was actually asking for the baptism of the Spirit for selfish gain. And I began to repent and I began to ask the Holy Spirit to baptize me for, you know, for others. And he said, within, within a couple of hours, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then he was able to step into ministry and, and really see the Lord move. But it's an invitation, the spirit of prayer. Finney would spend a lot of time every day before the Lord in his prayer closet, setting aside time to be with him, to pray. And they would call together meetings and, and pray. And there were direct answers to the prayers he prayed. Now, I want to look at a couple of verses 1 John 5, 14. Finney lived in the reality of answered prayer. And he shared stories, and Reese Howells in the same kind of thing, shared stories about praying through until he, he got to a breakthrough. Like he would, pray, he would pray for salvation for someone until he felt the release that they were going to be saved. And it was just like a knowing. It's like, I can't define it. It wasn't like the Lord spoke to me specifically, but it's just a knowing that you get to this place where you're like, okay. It's done. Like, this is done. And so and then he would move on to the next person or the next thing. And he would, he would do that over whole churches or whole communities. He would pray through until he felt the release that, okay, they're going to be saved. Uh, one time he prayed for a young woman. I, I, I told his original story in his personal village. And he traveled from town to town to town um, all over the state of New York and saw just revival after revival after revival, sustained revivals, not just had a revival for two weeks and people got saved and went back to normal. Sustained revivals where people continued to meet daily and weekly and pray and see the outpouring of the Spirit. And people were raised up in those communities that became um, prayer warriors and leaders. But there was a, one story where he was praying for a young woman that was resistant to the gospel. It was the last person in his home church that had not been converted in their youth group that he was the leader of. And, and he was praying for her and praying. And he spent hours praying for her one night. And after the third round of praying for her, um, he felt like the Lord said, okay, it's enough. And he had this knowing that she wasn't going to receive. And so the next, the next meeting when they went and preached, he went and preached, um, she ended up leaving the community and, and left, uh, basically left the community and went to a univer universalist, they call it universalist churches. And this was a big problem. It's so funny because as I'm reading the story, I'm seeing the exact same spirits that we have today. One of the biggest hindrances besides the religious spirit, that was a thing. There, there were churches that had experienced revival and then they were in religion and didn't want to receive a fresh wave. That was a thing. And then over here, there were a whole slew of churches that were universalist in theology. Just simply meaning that they believed that everyone was going to go to heaven and it didn't really matter what you did. And so it was just kind of, a, you know, be who you are, right? Which, you know, how, how many of you know that spirit's, 
you know, alive and thriving in our nation right now. Oh, just be who you are. You're just fine. There's no moral standard. There's no, you know, there's no right and wrong. There's no black and white. You be you, I'll be me. That spirit was alive and well. And so he was confronting that spirit on a regular basis and seeing uh, whole communities that were universalist coming into Christ. And so anyways, this girl ended up, this girl, he, he got to a place where he prayed, and then he knew that she wasn't going to receive. And, but the Lord was like, okay, it's done. It was so interesting to me that he knew the voice of the Spirit so well that he knew when to stop praying and, and for, like, for how long to contend for someone. Isn't that cool? So one last story. I'm running out of time here. But he goes to this, uh, I just, this is just for fun. He goes to this town. He doesn't know the name of the town. It was just this little town. He was on the way to another town. He stops and preaches there. And he, Finney wouldn't prepare texts for preaching. He would just, he'd ask the Holy Spirit, and the Lord would give him a couple of highlights. And then as he was preaching, but he would spend hours praying for his sermon time, right? So he would spend all day praying, and then he would get a couple of things. And then when he showed up at the service, the Lord would give him what he needed to say. Well, he went to this church, and he didn't have an outline or anything. And he was like, well, Lord, you know, he's at the service. He's like, what do you want me to share on? And the Lord back to it, brought back to his mind um, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. But he didn't remember exactly where it was in his Bible, somewhere in Genesis. And so he just shared, like, paraphrased story of it. And so he's sharing the story. And he said the people in the church, they just looked so angry. And it was a place where they didn't have church services. It was actually, they had a church that was, like, boarded up. And so they were using that. And there wasn't an active ministry. But these people got so angry looking, and he's like, what is going on? And so he's sharing the story, well, Sodom is, you know, the name of this town, and they were wicked, and, you know, he shares, you know, all the pieces, and, and he says, but there was one, you know, and, and Abraham prays, well, if there's ten righteous, will you destroy the city? No, if it's five, no. Well, he said there was only one righteous person in the city, and his name was Lot, but God destroyed that city. Well... <laughs> Come to find out, he calls the invitation time, and this whole group of people that, that don't go to church, he said he spent the day before walking through the village, and he said he heard more curse words. He, he's like, I thought I was on the edge of the borders of hell. It was like, it was just a crude, rude place. And so all these people had showed up for this meeting. Well, they all, this, this whole gathering of them get saved. This whole, they fall on their knees, they're like welling under conviction. Well, he finds out later that the name of the town, the, the nickname of the town was Sodom. And that the one Christian in the town, his name was Lot. Isn't that cool? So he shares this message, and he can't figure out why people are so, they're like, he knew this. This guy Lot must have invited him to come here and preach, you know. But he knows nothing about it, you know. He just shows up to do the service. Super cool. So I just love it how Holy Spirit leads into this. But I want to read a few verses about prayer, and then I actually want to pray for a few minutes. I figured for our invitation time, you know, and, I, and it ties so well in with the worship. Thank you, Melissa, for um, inviting us to pull out scriptures, life verses. That was awesome. It's totally Holy Spirit. All right, 1 John 5, 14, 15. <clears throat> and this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us. Okay, so number one, this is our confidence. If we ask, we know that he hears. Number two, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked for him. So if he hears, if we know he hears us, then we know he's going to give us what our request. John Wesley said that God does nothing on earth save or accept in answer to believing prayer. He doesn't do anything on earth save an answer to believing prayer. And I want to challenge us this morning that if our prayers are really filled with faith, that we'll keep praying. Because if we haven't received what we've requested, then we haven't really prayed enough to get it. <laughs> right? Right? He doesn't do anything except there's believing prayer. And the thing that I've learned from Charles Finney's life is that you pray until you get it, right? You don't just stop because you prayed for five minutes and then it didn't come through. You just keep praying. You keep asking. You keep interceding. You keep petitioning. You keep uh, thanksgiving, and you'll receive it. He'll, he'll release it. 
And it's a journey. It's not like, you know, some, sometimes we look at prayer as a vending machine. You know, it's like, well, you put a 15 minutes in and then you pull the lever and you get a, you know, a treat. It's like, no, 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 this is a, this is a invitation to relationship. God's looking for people to release his kingdom out of, but it comes through believing prayer, which means that we believe it's going to happen, and so we don't give up. We don't just stop doing it. Luke 18, Jesus says, and he told them a parable. This is, you know, Luke's giving some narration here. And he says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. So Jesus is sharing a parable to his disciples so that they'll continue to pray and not lose heart. I wonder why they would lose heart. Hmm. Maybe because they prayed and they didn't get what they wanted. Right? So Jesus is sharing a parable knowing that his disciples are going to pray and lose heart. Saying, look guys, here's a story. If you'll pray like this, you'll receive what you're asking for. You won't, you won't lose heart. And it's the parable of the, uh, the city and the unrighteous judge, right? And the point isn't that God's an unrighteous judge. It's that he's looking for people that will continue to ask, that will continue to come back and say, I need this, release this, or do this. I'm, I'm asking for this. First Timothy 2.1, I like this little uh, Paul lays out prayer and he puts three categories to it and so I want to I don't know if we'll model this at the end here but it's a great model for our prayer lives so just a little practical thing here first of all first Timothy 2 1 first of all then I urge that supplications prayers intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life Godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. All right, so supplications and prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving. What, what do those mean? Uh, so it's petitions. So we're asking for specific things. Intercessions means that we're mediating on someone else's behalf, right? So I'm praying for my nation. I'm praying for my president. I'm praying for my wife. I'm praying for my children. And I'm mediating on their behalf. And then thanksgiving. So we're thanking him for what he's doing and for those people and things, right? So, you know, an example of this would be like I wrote down, help them, forgive them, and thank you for them, all right? It's a little, little quick thing. Help them. Forgive them. Thank you for them. So, Lord, I pray for my children that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation on their lives, that they would find you, that they would know you. And I ask that you would forgive them whenever they turn away from you. Right? So I just went from petition. Now I'm going to mediation, intercession. Right? Lord, I ask that you would, would um, you know, bring a breakthrough even though they don't deserve it. Right? I ask that, that you would forgive them whenever they turn away from hearing your voice and that you would just send heaven to speak to their hearts. Holy Spirit, we ask that you baptize their hearts. And I thank you for my children. I thank you for what you're doing in their lives. I thank you that the breakthrough that's coming is going to be greater than it was in my generation. That they're going to see more than I saw. That they're going to receive what I received at an earlier age than I received it. Right? In Jesus' name, amen. Right? Petition, mediation, and thankfulness. Right? Help them, forgive them, thank you for them. Cool? Right, write that down if you need to remember. The great little tool for praying, First Timothy 2. All right, we, we got six minutes. So I'm going to jump ahead here. You know, Sally, I have this whole section of verses on um, salvation. And uh, we don't have time to jump through all of these this morning. But... I believe there's some here, maybe some online, that don't know the Lord. And I want to invite you into relationship with Him. And this spirit of prayer, I believe that He's stirring hearts this morning. There's conviction. And so I want to share a couple of verses on that briefly. 
First of all, 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So, number one, God desires you to be in the kingdom. Number two, John 3.16-18, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So salvation comes through believing in his name. And interestingly, uh, in Finney's day, there would be churchgoers that didn't have a full assurance of salvation, even though they mentally believed the gospel message, and they would pray through until they received an assurance in their heart. And I just found that so interesting. It's not something that we really distinguish a lot today in church life, but if there was someone that had a struggle with, well, am I really forgiven? They They would not let up on that until they had a breakthrough. They would pray for them. They would, they would contend with them. They would work with them and walk them through it until they finally got that breakthrough. And when they got that breakthrough, then they, they were so assured in their salvation, they'd never go back. So it went from a mental ascent to a heart issue. So cool. So I just prayed this morning that um, if there's any of you here online that don't know, they don't have that full assurance of salvation, that full assurance of forgiveness, that full assurance that, that you'll know where you're going to go when you die, that, that it's not by your works, but it's by the work of Jesus that, that gets you into eternal, the eternal kingdom, that this morning you would receive that assurance, that you'd feel that baptism of the Spirit, that you'd walk in that truth. All right, so let's all stand up, and we're going to pray for a minute, all right? I've got a little verse to warm up our gears a little bit, okay? Acts 26, 18. So I'm going to read this. To open their eyes. This is, this is, um, this is the prayer here that, <clears throat> this is the prayer that Jesus prayed. That you'd open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is Jesus speaking. Okay, so I want you to right now, close your eyes, and I want you to think about, I want you to, let's do this. Holy Spirit, I want you to bring to my mind somebody that needs you. And I want you to wait till you, you get somebody in your mind that, that you know or you know of that needs a relationship with Jesus. And we're just going to spend five minutes contending for that person. I have a list of seven, seven people that I pray for every week for salvation. Um, you know, friends and family of mine that I've been contending for. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick one of those people. So Lord, we, we asked this morning that you'd open their eyes. And I'm going to pray for a minute, and then I just want you guys to pray. Just lift your voices in prayer for them. But Father, we ask that you'd open their eyes, that they would turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan, that deceiver, that liar, the one that's held them down in condemnation, that's held them down in deception, the one that's kept them from entering the kingdom of God with his lies. I ask that they would turn from Satan to you, Jesus. That they would turn to the one that loves their souls. That they would turn to the one whose blood was spilt for their redemption. That they would turn to the one whose blood gives them new life. Whose blood regenerates their spirit. His blood who can remove and wash away every sin. Every bit of their unrighteousness. I ask that they would turn to you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, that you would pour out faith in their hearts, that they would grab a hold of the kingdom of God, that it would be 
violently released over the earth, that your kingdom would be forcefully advancing in Jesus' name. And I ask that they would receive the forgiveness of sins and the place among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. I ask that they would be set apart for your holy purposes, that they would be used in your kingdom, that their lives would matter, that their lives would make an eternal difference in our nation, in our nation, that they would be catalysts for revival in our nation, that they would be the Charles Finneys in our nation, that they would be the ones, the ones that we've looked at and said, there's no way they're going to come to Jesus, that they'd be the ones that come to Jesus as forerunners of the next awakening, that their hearts would align with you, Jesus, that they would meet you in the secret place, that in a, in a private place, it wouldn't even have to be in a church or in a prayer meeting, or with a friend that's a Christian, but they would meet you in a private place, in a closet, in a, in a grove, in the woods, in their homes, in their cars, in their beds, that you would meet them, Jesus, that you would pour out a fresh baptism of the Spirit on their lives, in Jesus' name. And then you guys, just let's pray for about two more minutes. Let's pray for them. Jesus. Pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit. Let your spirit of intercession arise on your people this morning. Let us fill your heart for our friends, for our family, for the lost. Put a burden on our hearts. Put a prayer in our mouths. Let the spirit of prayer rest on us. In Jesus' name. Holy Father. Holy Father, Holy Father, let heaven's ranks grow today. Let heaven's ranks grow this week. Let heaven's ranks grow this year. Let the turmoil of 2020 turn into the salvation of 2021. Bring this nation into revival. Bring this nation into awakening. We're hungry for it, Lord. We've heard the testimonies of what, you've, what you're doing in India and Indonesia, and Brazil, and Iran, and Armenia, and places all over the nations, South Africa, and Nigeria. We've heard of the, the amazing outpourings of your spirits, of, of thousands and tens of thousands and millions coming into the kingdom. And we ask, we're jealous. We ask for that in America. Would you bring in 70 million conversions during the second great awakening, 70 million conversions. Population was less than half of what it is now. Lord, we ask for 140 million conversions in this nation. That you'd pour out your spirit over it. And Lord, I commit to be a man of prayer that prays for this awakening. And who of you will commit with me in this? Just say that to the Lord. I commit to be a man or woman of prayer for revival in America. I commit to be a man or woman of prayer for salvation in my family, for salvation among my workplace, for salvation in my city, for salvation in my state, for salvation in my nation, in Jesus' name. Lord, we commit our lives to you again this morning. We want to receive a fresh baptism. Finney received fresh baptisms daily. <laughs> he received that spirit of prayer and saw you moving regularly. We want to receive a fresh baptism. We don't want to be lethargic in receiving what you have for us. We ask that you'd strike our hearts with hunger. We ask that you'd strike our hearts with jealousy for your kingdom, with jealousy for your glory, with jealousy to see your face, Jesus. And again, this morning, we commit our allegiance, we surrender to you. In the Welsh revival, the prayer that you would bend them. We, we invite you to bend us again today. 
We ask, Lord, would you bend us? We're not entitled to bending. We ask for it, though. It's available, and we want to receive it. We ask for your good gifts to come down on your children, that you'd pour out all that you want for us. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Yeah, amen. So this week, we have an invitation to set aside time to be with him, to get out our pencils and make a list. These are the ones I'm contending for right now. We have an opportunity to get in the word and find those promises to declare over others. We have an opportunity to petition and mediate and thank the Lord for those in our lives that need him those in our lives that need his strength right now in this season we're at a ripe time for the harvest our nation's in the perfect place for revival today is our opportunity so are you going to commit with me to make this a lifestyle because I'm in I'm in. I'm doing this. If you need to be inspired, go get a Charles Finney autobiography and read it. Or go get a Reese Howells biography and read it. There are many other, Leonard Ravenhill. There are many other amazing books. Mike Bickle. There's so many good prayer warriors that have inspiring stories. But it, it's the roots of revival. It's the roots of what he wants to do in us. He wants us to be a people of prayer. And so I just repent for not setting aside the time, for getting too busy. Amen? Been too busy. I'm not going to be too busy anymore. Amen? So I'm going to be challenging you guys in this. And I'm going to be looking for you to challenge me. So if you see me, you're like, you've been praying up? You ask me. You've been praying? Like, Yes. Amen? And we're going to see fresh baptisms, and we're going to see powerful words. We're going to see powerful faces that when we look at people, they're going to be convicted. We're going to see salvation rain down in restaurants, in our workplaces, and our friends. Too long we've been striving without that to get people into the kingdom. It's a new day. Amen? Phil.